Right, good morning everyone. Good morning. Now, I've got a couple of things that I'm going to promise you this morning. And um, if you were here last week for Jonathan Conrath, you would remember that it was a brilliant morning, wasn't it? It was really good. He's a really amazing and gifted speaker and an amazing evangelist with fantastic testimonies. And I'm now following on from him. (laughs) So I'm going to promise you two things this morning. The first thing is that I'll probably be a little bit more gentle than he is, because that's my style. And the second, I'm going to be a lot shorter. (laughs) Okay. Um, It was a wonderful week last week, actually, and I think we all went away with a lot to think about. Um, I have put recording on the website, if anybody did miss it, to actually catch up on a podcast. And also, I put the testimonies on as well. So Justin and Martin's amazing testimonies are up on the website for you to listen to. Now, this year so far, we've been thinking a lot about our verse for the year, haven't we? Does anyone remember what our verse for the year is? It's in the newsletter. <laughs> okay, it's Luke 10, 2-3, and I'm going to just read it one more time, just to remind us. And it's just when Jesus has sent out the 72. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Okay, now I'm not going to focus on this particular verse because Aid's already focused on that quite a bit. What I am going to do is I'm going to go a little bit further into that chapter, into Luke 10 this morning. And I'm going to look, in particular, at one of Jesus' key commands to us. And it's second only to the command to love God above all else, to put him first. So we're going to be focusing on his command to love our neighbours, but love our neighbours as we love ourselves. Because unless we can do that, we're not really going to make any headway with these mission communities, are we? With our small groups, we're not going to be able to bring in that harvest together. And we're not going to be able to bless the community we're living in. But before we get stuck into that, I do have a confession. Now this confession, I feel I should fess up really, it's something that sort of goes back to the 1980s really when I was at university. And I wasn't the only one with this sort of a bit of an addiction, an obsession maybe. I think Matt, you might have had a bit of an obsession or addiction with it from what you said earlier. Could you put the picture up please? Does anybody remember this? Yeah. Okay, well I had a little bit of obsession along with my fellow students of watching Neighbours, this Australian soap opera. And actually it was brilliant because if you missed it at lunchtime you could watch it in the evening as well. Yeah, or you could watch both if you wanted to really sort of get into it. Now, I know that it's a bit of a risk telling you this, because you may not look at me in the same way again. And I have broken that soap opera addiction, I have to say, (laughs) since the early days. But the whole premise for this thing, for this programme, was that actually it was a community of people. And it was built up around one street called... Does anyone know what it's called? Ramsey Street! Oh my goodness, you all watched it, right. I wonder if you identified with anyone. I mean, obviously you identified a bit with Harold Bishop there. I always wanted to be a bit of Kylie, I have to say. So, but there were various sort of characters that we would follow. Now, 
The whole community was built up in Ramsey Street in the neighbourhood of Erinsborough. Now, if you were a real neighbours aficionado, you would know that Erinsborough, do you know what Erinsborough is? It's an anagram of neighbours. So you can see how hooked I was. And does anybody remember the catch line to the song? Everybody needs good neighbours because good neighbours become good friends. Okay. Now, actually, if you watch that day in, day out as I did, and good neighbours became good friends, it would be pretty tame, boring viewing, wouldn't it? And you wouldn't watch it for very long. So actually, there were always a lot of dramatic and corny twist plots. And each episode seemed to have a cliffhanger, so you just had to watch the next one. And as this neighbourhood got together and it was establishing itself and it was welcoming in newcomers, friendships were formed and some of the neighbours did become good friends. But there was also a fair bit of intrigue, wasn't there? There was a lot of deception, a lot of lying, a lot of betrayal, cheating, fraud, kidnapping, there was even murder. So good neighbours didn't always become good friends in that sense. Now, in many ways, that fictional neighbourhood is extremely far-fetched. You wouldn't have all of those things happening on one street, would you? There's an awful lot of traumas, an awful lot of drama. It's a bit like, for those of you who watch Midsummer Murders, you wouldn't live in Midsummer, would you? Because your chance of surviving would not be that great. But actually, with neighbours, it was a bit of a microcosm of a much bigger, broader, wider society a society full of people who could actually really easily slip into all sorts of behaviours and find themselves in all sorts of situations that maybe they didn't intend. There were some generally pretty bad people in there, but a lot of people just made a bit of a mess of their lives at times. And so if we look at Jesus' command in that context, to love your neighbour as yourself, you can see, can't you, it's totally radical. Because to love your neighbour as yourself was not what they were doing, and it's not always what we're doing, is it? And Jesus is not saying, love your neighbour so you can become good friends with them, so you can get on well. He's saying, love your neighbour as yourself. So we're going to set this in a scriptural context together, and we're going to open up our Bibles, and we're going to look together at Matthew 22. It's on page... 990 of the Church Bibles. Actually, we're looking at 991, and I'm going to look at from 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, if we read a little further back in this chapter, we'd see that Jesus had recently fulfilled the Palm Sunday prophecy in Zechariah 9 by riding into Jerusalem on a colt, on the colt of a donkey. And actually it was a time where the whole of the city was stirred up. 
They were questioning who Jesus was. Could he really be the Messiah? Could he be the King of Kings coming in, riding in on that donkey? And actually, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were felt really threatened by him. They were really worried about their position. So they were greatly challenged by his teaching and by his presence. So tensions were really high, and frequently we know they look for opportunities to catch him out. And so here in Matthew 22, we witness this particular Pharisee asking Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now when Jesus answers him, he gives him probably more than he bargains for with this twofold answer. Because firstly, as we've read, he states, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now that is showing the teachers of the law that Jesus is placing God in his rightful place. He knows exactly who his father is. And it also shows that he respects and he is completely familiar with Old Testament teaching. In fact, he's referring back to the commands given in Deuteronomy. And this is at a time when Moses has called his people together. He's called the people of Israel together shortly before they're about to enter the Promised Land. And he's reminding them of the specific commandments they need to live by if they want all to go well with them. And then in Deuteronomy 6, Moses sums it up, impressing on the people the importance of obedience to God if they do want things to go well in the Promised Land. I'm going to read to you from the NLT version what it says. These are the commands, decrees and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. He goes on to say, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. So Jesus refers back to what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy, but he doesn't stop there. He adds the second commandment. He says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So Jesus is deliberately expanding on this first commandment. He's binding the second to it. The second part is, in fact, also a reference to the Old Testament, to Leviticus 19. And we're going to come to that a little later on. But what I really want to do this morning is I want us to ask ourselves a few pertinent questions. To really dig deep and ask ourselves these things. Firstly, who is my neighbour? We're going to be looking at that together. Who does Jesus say our neighbour is? Secondly, what is Jesus saying about loving ourselves? How should I love myself? And what isn't he saying? And thirdly, how can I love my neighbour? And we're going to look at that both generally and intentionally. Now, we're going to look first at who is my neighbour? It's a big question for many of us, I think, and sometimes I think we want to limit the scope of it, don't we? 
So if we look at Luke 10 together, we can see that an expert, another expert in the religious law, asked Jesus this exact same question. He wants to know who his neighbour is. And as Catherine comes up to read this story to us, the very familiar story of the Good Samaritan, you'll see that the expert is trying to limit the remit of who his neighbour is. Catherine's going to read to us from the message version. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbour as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbour? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan travelling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbour to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Thank you, Catherine. I love that translation. He was looking for a loophole. We often do that, don't we? We look for a loophole in things. Well, surely that doesn't apply to me. But actually, when he's asking who is my neighbour, there's a much deeper question, isn't there? It's a familiar story to us. But actually, Jesus is telling this story and causing this religious scholar, the religion scholar, as it says in the message, to look beyond who his neighbour is, the original question, and actually look at himself, to look at who he is, what his character is like, what his actual heart is like, his heart attitudes, Jesus asked him, doesn't he, which of the three became a neighbour to the Samaritan? And I think the same is true for us. Rather than trying to work out, well, who's my neighbour, maybe we need to work out who we are and how we treat others as neighbours. Who exactly are we? What sort of a person? <coughs> and sometimes, I know for myself, I have to be quite brutal with asking myself about how far I'm prepared to go. How would I honestly have reacted in that situation myself? Would I have walked on by? Would I turn a blind eye? Would I rush off and do something else? 
And when we ask ourselves things like that, we have to say, well, what is it? What is it that's actually shaping my heart attitude here? Is it superiority in any way? Some of us can struggle with that, can't we? Or entitlement. Or inferiority, even. We feel like we're not able to make much of a difference in a particular situation. We feel a bit timid. Sometimes it's prejudice, isn't it? Fear. Fear is often at the root of prejudice, isn't it? Sometimes it's favouritism. We just want to be with those who we feel comfortable with. So I think it's really important that we continue to ask ourselves, what is it about me that stands in the way of me loving my neighbour, as Jesus would have me do? In telling this story, this parable, Jesus wants to impress on each one of us that it is actually our hearts that will determine what we do when faced with somebody in true need. And he wants us, of course, to have hearts like the Samaritan, not like the others. If you notice, it said his heart went out. The Samaritan's heart went out. It wasn't contained within him. He actually felt that empathy. He was able to project his feelings. He was able to be soft-hearted, fleshy-hearted. He wasn't cynical. He wasn't weighing up everything. He was soft-hearted. And I believe we, as we get more and more involved in our communities, we need to try and cultivate those soft hearts, don't we? We need to work on those things that creep in because we don't want to be stony-hearted. We don't want to be cynical. We don't want to be compassion-fatigued. And that is so easy, isn't it? Because we're surrounded, as Liz was saying, today when we look at our community, sometimes we are just surrounded by so much need, so much sickness, so much poverty, so many things that are going on that we kind of put a wall or a fence around our hearts and we don't want to engage with it. But actually, Jesus is clear. Help the one in front of you, the one who needs it, the one who Jesus lays on our heart. And we can't discriminate. If he tells us to do something, we have to do it. We can't leave it to someone else. So I think we as groups, as our small groups, need to develop this culture where actually we can respond to the one in front of us. But I would say as well, in the most appropriate way, we don't want to be people who are going to be taking ridiculous risks or silly risks. We need to be appropriate. We need to be wise. I was thinking about how we do help those around us in practical ways sometimes. It might be that the Lord just says, give them a lift. Give them a lift to the hospital. Do a bit of gardening for somebody. Do some shopping. Sometimes it's just offering to pray. Sometimes it's just going away and praying. Sometimes it's signposting them on somewhere else. Often it's just a kind word, a listening ear, a bit of encouragement. But actually, whatever we need to do, we need to do it reflecting Jesus and asking him all the time, Lord, what would you have me do? How should I respond in this situation? How can I be the good neighbour? Help me not to look so much at who my neighbour is, but how I can be that good neighbour. Okay, I'm going to go off at a slight tangent for a bit to make a point. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Aid was talking about snakes. Was it, were you all here for that? Yeah. Now, Aid did a really good job, I think, of showing us some positive attributes for a creature that often we find really quite repulsive or scary, don't we? When he asked how many of us like snakes, there were only a few positive responses in the room. Most of us 
were not that keen and some of us were pretty phobic. There was a lot of sort of ooing and ahhing and ee! But um, I listened back to the recording actually and um, we kept the clip on where um, Age showed us a clip from the BBC. Is it Life on Earth or whatever the latest one? Planet Earth. No, Planet Earth, yeah. I've been watching it. Anyway, the first time around, I couldn't watch that bit with the racist snakes and the iguanas. I was sitting with my daughter and I was just sort of like this, shrieking the whole time. Did watch it in church, actually. And um, when you listen back to the recording, it's excellent because you can sort of hear David Attenborough and then you can hear Ada a bit and you can hear a lot of, ah, ooh, ah. It's mainly Rachel and me, I think, and Matt. I mean, some, and, uh, but you can actually, there's loads of shrieking and sort of, and they're really rooting for that iguana as well. Now, I have to say, it's quite a breakthrough for me to watch something like that because until really recently, I was extremely phobic about snakes, really badly phobic. And the Lord has been working on me in a number of areas of fear, actually, over the last couple of years, I'd say, and setting me free from some things that really do sort of limit my life. Um, but I wasn't really too bothered about being phobic about snakes, because generally, in my everyday life, I don't come into contact <laughs> with a great deal of snakes. So that's quite good. I can remember when my kids were really little, and I could take them to paint and zoo, and um, I'd avoid as much as possible the reptile house. But sometimes they just wanted to go in, and having two boys in particular, they love snakes and things. So I just, I used to go in, but I'd sort of walk like this, holding their hands, trying not to pass on my fear, and like looking at my feet, and, and, and they were like, ooh, ah, and everything, and I was just feeling quite sick and sweaty and nauseous, but I'd do it. And actually, none of them are scared of snakes, so I've got one bit of parenting right, I think, and I actually went in with them. But apart from that, my phobia didn't impact on my life. That was until quite recently where my lovely godson decided to get a snake. Now he loves snakes, really loves them. And he now has his own pet python called Jim Bob. He was going to call it Monty, but apparently there are many pythons called Monty. So, I called him Jim Bob. Now, I recently visited him up in Surrey, and this was for the first time since he got Jim Bob. So I thought, I've got to get somehow beyond this irrational fear. I know that snakes can be really dangerous, and if I was actually out on a trek in the jungle, which I would never do actually, but if I was, I would be really wise to avoid poisonous snakes, and you know, I'd take all sorts of precautions. But actually, I knew full well that Jim Bob is tame. He's a well-cared-for, well-looked-after python, and the whole family love him, even little Florence. She plays with him, drapes him around her neck, the whole thing. And I thought, well, if they can do that, I've got to be able to at least look at him without feeling ill. So I decided to ask Huey, my godson, if he would bring Jim Bob to the door of the lounge. And um, I'd just look at him. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> I took the, and I'd just look at him. Now, I did manage that, and I was really quite proud of myself. And then, I've got a photo to prove it. Here's Jim Bob. I actually stroked him, and actually, I know I look very like that, but I spent quite a bit of time stroking him. I even touched his head, which was my main phobic sort of point, really. And I have to say that I realised that all my preconceived ideas and prejudices about snakes were a real generalisation. Jim Bob's actually quite lovely. They, yeah, I mean, I don't like all snakes. I'm never going to like all snakes. But actually, Jim Bob was really rather velvety. He was very calm, 
And up close, he was very, very beautiful. His markings were absolutely extraordinary. I didn't actually hold him. I might try that next time. But one step at a time. But actually, it's a lesson for us, isn't it, in so many ways that we need sometimes to deal with our fears, with our generalizations, with our prejudices, because actually sometimes God just wants us to deal with that person in front of us. And it might be somebody that we'd seen as a bit of a slippery snake or as somebody that we're a bit frightened of, or we're generalising about, we're lumping in. But actually, God always asks us to seek out the positives in others, to seek out their beauty. There is a note of caution, though, and I think we always have to come back to that. God never asks us to engage with all snakes as we serve others. Definitely not. We need to be wise. We need to ask for his discernment and wisdom. And there will be some who are dangerous to us at that time. That doesn't ever mean God's given up on them. But actually, he may not be asking us to engage. So we just don't go in gung-ho and try and fix and deal with every situation. And I often think with Jim Bob, that's really taught me a lesson. Because God has asked me to deal with that snake that's in front of me. The one that I've got a natural connection with as well. I don't think he's asking me to go into the zoo and drape anacondas around my neck. <laughs> Not yet. So we have to exercise judgment and discernment when we engage with our neighbour, whoever that may be. We're not asked to throw common sense out of the window, but we are asked to have compassion, to look for the beauty, and to act if he impresses on us that it's important to act with that person. Now, I've got a little quote here from Velvet Elvis from Robel's book, and I absolutely love what it says here about sharing the love of Jesus and being a good neighbour. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, Rob Bell says, If the gospel isn't good news for everybody, then it isn't good news for anybody. And this is because the most powerful things happen when the church surrenders its desire to convert people and convince them to join. It is when the church gives itself away in radical acts of service and compassion, expecting nothing in return that the way of Jesus is most vividly put on display. To do this, the church must stop thinking about everybody primarily in categories of in or out, saved or not, believer or non-believer. Besides the fact that these terms are offensive to those who are the un and the non, they work against Jesus' teachings about how we are to treat each other. Jesus commanded us to love our neighbour. And our neighbour can be anybody. We are all created in the image of God. We are all sacred, valuable creations of God. Everybody matters. To treat people differently based on who believes what is to fail to respect the image of God in everyone. As the book of James says, God shows no favouritism. So we don't either. And I particularly like that because it reminds us, doesn't it, not to be exclusive not to be superior, not to think we're the in, we're the select. We don't want to be like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, do we? We want to be a people that engage with all. And also, it's not just about helping those who are in dire need or in dire straits at the moment. It's about being prepared to connect with everyone, treating everyone with respect and as equally valuable and not ruling out anyone on the basis of our own preconceptions. 
Okay. We've looked a little about who our neighbour is and should be, and actually how we should be as a neighbour. How our heart attitudes might need to change. But what about loving our neighbour as ourselves? What about the self bit, the self-love? We're going to look at what self-love actually means. I'm going to ask Matt to come up and he's going to read to us the passage that I referred to earlier from Leviticus to see what Jesus is driving at when he's quoting Moses about loving our neighbours ourselves. Okay, so Leviticus 19, 9-18. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not make your hired workers wait until the day, the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favouring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbour's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Thank you, Matt. That's pretty clear, isn't it? A whole set of really challenging instructions and commands. And summed up, really, in loving your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus, of course, Jesus is fully agreeing with that, because to love your neighbour as you love yourself is actually to practice justice, to treat your fellow human beings fairly, as you'd like to be treated yourself. We're encouraged to be generous to those in need, particularly the outsider. When I think of the news often at the moment, I think of, and I think of those child refugees that we're actually saying we're now not going to take in. You just think, how many walls and fences are we putting up around our hearts? But actually, we need to treat others as we'd like to be treated, and we need to put ourselves in the situations of people who are really going through it. We need to be honest with one another, honour God, impartial as well, loving, forgiving. And for Jesus, he was speaking, wasn't he, to Jews who were shaped by the Torah, who were shaped by this law. And that's what it looked like for them to love their neighbours themselves. And it wasn't, as I said earlier, just those in need. It was those who were in their social spheres, in their working spheres, not just those in obvious need. And it's the same for us. It's no different. We're called to act justly, 
were caught out honourably with regard to everyone in every situation. Again, it's more about us, isn't it? It's more about how we're behaving or how we choose to conduct ourselves than who other people are. Now, as I was preparing this, I was very much aware that there will be people sitting here thinking, actually it's really hard to love my neighbour as myself because I don't actually think that much of myself. Now in a way that's a whole different preach and I'm not going to go down that route today. But I do believe there are a number of people here really feeling like that. I felt like it myself at times. But actually, if that is true, I do believe that God wants to engage with you right here, right now, today. And there will be people who will pray with you afterwards and talk with you. Because it's never God's desire, is it, that we debase ourselves, that we undervalue ourselves. Because he loves us so much. He died for each one of us. But sometimes we can't engage with that and we find it really hard and there's a block there. So I don't want anyone to be listening to this today and thinking, well, that's all very well if you can love yourself. I can't. There, there is time for you today and there will be plenty of people to pray with afterwards. But what I want to focus on now is self-love that we are all born with, that sort of inherent natural self-love. Because Jesus talks about this, he wants us to love our neighbour as ourselves because he knows that we're all born with him. No matter how we feel about ourselves now, we all have, when we're born, that, that instinct of self-preservation, don't we? And we all want some degree of fulfilment in our lives. We all have a bit of a survival instinct. We've got needs that need to be met, just even the basic ones, food and shelter, security, safety... And they're more complex ones. We're born to relationship, aren't we, with one another. That really enhances our lives and ultimately with God too. We're all searching for meaning and purpose. We all have needs. And all of that is natural, inherent self-love. You know, I even believe it is there in the womb as we are created. Sadly, not all babies make it, do they? Because we don't live in a perfect, wonderful world. But I believe that we are created in the womb with that desire to survive and a fight for it. I think back to when I had my kids, and um, I had, I've got three kids, but had two pregnancies because of having twins. And in both of my pregnancies, I had something called hyperemesis gravidum, which basically means you have morning sickness. Um, but you have it morning, afternoon, evening, night, and you have it the whole nine months. And it's actually quite common with multiple births. And um, it was so bad for me that when I was having the twins, I was hospitalised for quite a long while, and I was in Germany. I had fantastic care there. It was really wonderful. I was well looked after. But I can remember, because I was very emaciated, I can remember speaking to my doctor about the fact that I was really concerned about my twins. And he said to me, he's a very blunt German, I didn't need to worry, they were parasites and I was the host. <laughs> and um, I remind them of that sometimes. <laughs> um, but actually, what he meant was their desire to survive was so important and so, like, so inbuilt and inherent that actually they took what they needed from me. And it was actually the doctors were looking after me and keeping me well because I needed to be their host, if you, if you like. And they were all perfectly fine and, and wonderful. But actually, that showed to me that, yeah, there's even from when they're conceived, they've got that inherent desire to survive, that self-love. 
Um, we often laugh now, now as well because um, Izzy was quite a bit heavier than Tom and so Tom says that she's obviously more self-obsessed and self-loving than he was. <laughs> but anyway, they're fine. And I don't think Jesus judges us at all for that self-love. That's how we're created. It's natural, it's assumed, we're born with it. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to live, is there? There's nothing wrong with desiring food when hungry or shelter when cold or relationships, meaningful relationships with one another. But actually all these things can become corrupted and we need to watch out for that too. It's why Jesus says love your neighbour as yourself. He wants us to recognise that the things that we desire, that we need for ourselves, are just as important to everyone else. But, and I think this is an important caveat, whilst self-love is assumed, it is never ever commanded. We're never told to love ourselves more, are we? And I think many of us, myself included, have to work quite hard to battle against that self-first attitude. What Jesus is saying to us is, it's not self-first. Never place yourself first. Never become selfish, egocentric, self-serving, narcissistic even. But actually it's easy for that to happen. We're never commanded to put our own needs above our fellow man or woman or child. We're simply commanded to treat them as we'd like <coughs> to be treated ourselves. And further, I believe, I think our love is meant to be other-directed. Of course it is important that we do look after ourselves. We don't want to burn ourselves out. We don't want to be silly about things. We don't want to overdo it. But actually, our main focus of love should be on others. And sometimes it is sacrificial. If Jesus calls for it to be sacrificial, it will be. After all, that's what he did for us, isn't it? And he's our role model. So we've looked a little here at who our neighbour is. We've looked at why we should love our neighbour as ourselves. And as I say, as I've already said, actually... Self-love is an important part of us. And I just want to go back again to those people who are thinking, actually I'm still struggling with that. I really do feel that I've got to say, don't leave here today until you've spoken with one of us and you've prayed with one of us. I really believe God is saying that to you. Now's your time. What we're going to do now is we're going to think a little bit about how practically we can love our neighbour. We've kind of already looked at it in a general sense, haven't we? We've looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. We've looked at Leviticus and the set of rules that we've got there. So that's more of a general sense. But what, what I want to do to wrap up is look at it a bit more intentionally. Now, as part of our tra transitioning into our mission communities, from our home group into our small groups, We've been looking, our mission community, the Totnes one, we've been looking very much about how we can do this. We had a bit of a brainstorming session on Wednesday evening. and We've been looking about how we can do this in our group, what the Lord is asking us to do. And actually we came up with all sorts of ideas. And a couple of our members are going to share them with you in a moment. And as most of you are in your own communities, you might want to listen to these and some of them might resonate with you. But what I would say is that we're all different, the groups are all different, and the Lord will be asking different ones of us to do different things. We've all got different gifts. 
And so it's not like a tick list of things that we have to do, but it's more just an exploring together. And it might be you thought, actually, that one really resonates with us, with our group. We might be able to do that. So I'm going to ask Rachel if she'll come up first and share a little bit of um, what we talked about. We split up into two groups. So Rachel was sort of like the leading the first group and Pete the other. So Rachel, if you just start us off. Yes. Um, I did write it down on a piece of paper in the home group. And uh, as many of you know, John and I are packing at home. <laughs> and just that's it. It's probably in a box somewhere. Anyway. Um, we, our little half group, half of the home group, we just split into two, and our little half um, talked first of all about what we have to give, uh, what, what different ones of us might be able to offer. So we talked about our giftings. Some of us um, felt, I think, more able to do that first step of getting to know people, and some of us are a bit shyer, um, and uh, much better at the sort of following up kind of friendship, I suppose you'd say. Mm. Um, so, and we all need each other for that, don't we? Um, other, others of us prefer to give practical gifts like haircutting <laughs> or, you know, just have sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody that they, you know, might just met um, in, in a church context, maybe inside the church, or did we want to do something outside the church? What gifts did we have to share with our neighbours? Um, I think that story that we just read this morning, Rebecca, mm -hmm. about the um, uh, uh, Samaritan, thank you, um, the Good Samaritan, I was just thinking that's, yeah, it's one of those stories where a neighbour has to react mm -hmm. to another neighbour. Yeah. I don't know if you've all been in that sort of having to react Situation. I'm sure all of us have in one way or another to something maybe that's happened to one of them. Uh, we had to do that with our next door neighbours who's uh, the husband had a heart attack back home and John and I had to go in and mm. um, yeah, sort of really help them and um, it was very painful. Um, and then after they left for the hospital I went in and did the washing up in the kitchen and, and our neighbour, the wife, just could not understand that. <laughs> just could not believe that I'd done that. Um, and um, I think just surprising little things that we can do, even on the quiet, really, um, are, mm. can be enormously yeah. impacting, can't they, and very mm. valuable to other people, especially, you know, perhaps when you've known them for years, your next-door neighbours, bless them with something, you know, they're really not expecting. Mm. Um, other things that we talked about in our home group was any kind of an outreach that we could do, whether it's using this building, or out there on the streets. Many of us have done street pastors in the past, or maybe still doing that. That's most definitely an outreach of getting to know, well, usually younger people, isn't it, in the community. Um, some of us will, will remember the Jumble in the Jungle, which was a very, very successful outreach to our local community. And that gave us time, didn't it, within, within this safe place, I suppose you say, to actually get to know people who were just coming in and wanting to buy things. That kind of uh, relaxed atmosphere, I think, is enormously valuable to really just get to know people um, that we've not met or perhaps we know from a distance. Um, group, can you help me to remember what else we talked about? Well, Pete can come up and do oh, from yeah, their group. From our yeah. little half. Anybody else want to add? I think that? you've covered it pretty well. Okay, good. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Okay, Pete. 
Your group was slightly different focus to our group, wasn't it? Um, slightly, not, not hugely. I found my bit of paper this morning. <laughs> um, we, we sort of went at it from the other way round and looked at what gifts we had within the group and then wondered about how they could be used to um, make connections with the communities around us, really. And the, surprisingly, the gifts, the list of gifts that we had in our little group, half group that we were, was huge. Huge, huge. huge. I, I only brought the first page. <laughs> but, but, it's all me. <laughs> many of the gifts uh, were very, very practical. Serving, hospitality, welcoming, relationship building, communicating, artistic gifts, nurturing, mothering, all sorts of really practical gifts. There were others as well, but most of them were really practical. And then we thought about um, what we could actually do for people around us. And we talked about making meals for new parents or people who are real or older people, about helping with gardening and cleaning. Um, there must be lots of people around us who are hurting. How can we help hurting emotionally, physically, whatever? How can we help them? A lot of it was based around acts of kindness in reality. Um, that, that was quite clear. And we realised as well that we've got some people in the group who are at the school gate most days. And that, that could, in itself could be a real place of impact with our communities. Um, but we did actually realise that we didn't actually, we were assuming, we were doing a, making a classic marketing mistake actually, we were assuming we knew what our community wanted. Mm. And we don't actually know in reality what it is that would really impact our community. Um, so we just, it was right at the end, mm. and we didn't go into it in much detail, but we just talked about the possibility of doing a questionnaire, or putting a questionnaire together, and going probably mainly around the streets around Rebecca's house, I would imagine, but we're quite a disparate group geographically, but actually maybe we need to focus in, in a few streets mm. and use a questionnaire to find out what, that, what our community is really in need of. I know years ago I heard a guy talking from inner London, in a city London, about how they um, thought they knew what the needs of their community were, but they did a questionnaire and discovered the biggest need, what was perceived by the people who lived in that community, the biggest perceived need was to pick up the litter. Mm. So that's what the church went and did, mm. <laughs> which I was really impressed with. Uh, but we don't actually know. We're assuming that we know, but it, it might be really good for us to find out what it is that our community really has needs for. Mm. Thank you, Pete. Yeah. So I think something that ran through it for us as well was actually it does need to be God ideas, not just the good ideas. And we do need to actually engage with the community to find out what they want. And we don't want to reinvent a wheel either, do we? I mean, we talked about obviously there's a, quite a need with homelessness in, in our um, community. But we already have Mark Hatch and the members of this church that are very much involved in, in that outreach as well and looking after people. We have um, Christians Against Poverty dealing with people in debt. So we already have plenty of things within the community. So it's actually each of our groups asking ourselves, how do we do this? How are we going to do it? Asking the Lord and actually asking the community that we're living in as well for some ideas. Okay, right. I just want to reread part of the Rob Bell quote, actually, because I think it sums up what both Rachel and Peter were saying as well. 
It is when the church and when our mission communities give itself away in radical acts of service and compassion, expecting nothing in return, and that's key, isn't it? Expecting nothing in return, that the way of Jesus is most vividly put on display. And that's what we want to be doing. We want to be putting the way of Jesus vividly on display, not expecting even people to start coming through the doors with us, but actually sowing seeds, putting things out there, showing his love, regardless of what happens in this building. Okay. Now I'm going to draw to a close, and um, we're going to go into a time of communion this morning. And I see that very much as we celebrate communion, that we actually also have that perfect opportunity to repent of any wrong heart attitudes that we may have, of any walls or fences that we're building up around our hearts, any prejudices we may still be carrying, generalisations that the Lord has flagged up in us and wants us to deal with. So I'm going to ask Liz if you'll come up um, with the band and just set up for a song so that you can just sit and you can reflect and you can ask the Lord to really speak to you as we then go into that time of communion. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, I thank you for all that you have done for us. I thank you, Lord, that each one of us can have life in all its fullness. Not the perfect life, not the best life ever, but a full life with you. Thank you, Lord, that we know how to cling on to, how to hold on to you. Help us, Lord, to cling on and hold on to you. And Lord, help us to share that love that we have for you and from you with others. Lord, we want to be a radical people. We want to be people who bless. We want to be good neighbours. We want to spot the need and we want to act as soon as you tell us to. We want to be like that good Samaritan. We don't want to look for loopholes. We don't want to look for ways out. Lord Jesus, we want to be open. We want to surrender to you so that we will behave in a way that is pleasing to you. So Father God, I just pray that as we come to worship you again now, as we listen to this song or join in, Lord Jesus, change our hearts with that one touch. Cause us, Lord, to want our hearts to be changed in the areas that it needs it. Come Holy Spirit, touch us. Cleanse us. Renew us. <coughs> 